and welcome to What Is My Podcast About. This is our fortnightly podcast. I am your host, Peter Graves Akerley. I am joined, as always, by Matthew Grace. Hello. And Keith Ramsey. Hey. Didn't like my cold open, I see. Nope. Uh, but I also cut down the amount of shit I fucking said to keep us from having problems anyways. So I, I met you in the middle. I'll put it that way. Um, I hope that's fucking good enough, because I'm not willing to put more work into my intro. I liked it better when it was jank and bad. We'll, we'll take a look at this during the yearly review. <laughs> of course, Well, that is coming up, so uh, we'll be ready for that. I enjoy how we have two yearly reviews, one at the end of the calendar year and one at the end of, I think it's around April, when it's been a whole year of us doing a podcast. It's really helpful to have two. keeps us on our toes. <laughs> Enough telling people about the behind-the-scenes nature of this. Other than the fact that it's currently Black Friday, so if I stop talking for a, middle, a minute, assume I'm just fighting a middle-aged woman for something in this Best Buy. That's um, Like the PlayStations? But, yeah, of course. I gotta fight, not even for PlayStation 5s. Best Buy doesn't have PlayStation 5s. I can fight them for PlayStation 3s, though, so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> um, not even the 4. Not even the 4. Fuck no. That was gone within the first moments of Black Friday. <laughs> in this economy? Man, I hope Best Buy doesn't still carry PlayStation 3s. That would make me sad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the store, like the PlayStation Store for PlayStation 3 has gone down. Um, anyways, what's going on in the world other than me fighting middle-aged women? Uh, so, uh, the Hawkeye series finally started. They launched the two uh, first episodes of the six-part series. Uh, each episode, the pr people are very specific about how many days it is to Christmas. In episode one, we got six more days till Christmas. Episode two, five more days till Christmas. So I so think the final I get what's probably going to be Christmas Eve or Christmas. Exactly, where he's got a he, he's already promised his family he'd be home for Christmas. So we know how this is going. He's not going to be home for Christmas. Uh, uh, it's probably going to have the climax of the final episode have that song playing where it's singing about how I'll be home for Christmas and it's him not being home for Christmas. Uh, well, so far, it's the most wonderful time of the year is played in both episodes. Nice. Uh, I do, I, I, not really a spoiler, but I do want to mention uh, which might be the best joke in the whole series. And, and I don't mean Hawkeye. I mean in the whole of Marvel, which is uh, Clint Barton has a hearing aid in this one. And there's a part where a character asks him when his hearing went, and he looks up, and then it's a flashback of him just getting the shit beat out of him from every movie so far. And he's like, <laughs> we haven't narrowed it down yet. Oh, that's that's actually pretty fucking funny. I like it. But yeah, it's been a good series so far. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. That's fair. And I'm this looking one... forward to when it wraps up so I can start watching it. <laughs> that's fair. I think for this one, I am probably going to take the mat approach and wait for it to be uh, fully out before I start watching it, just to make life a little bit easier for me. Fair um, enough. Uh, last episode should be on December 22nd. Perfect timing. Just in time for Christmas. Uh, in fact, that means I can probably start watching a couple days before. I just watch an episode a day and literally watch the episode six days before Christmas and then watch the next episode five days before Christmas. In real time. In real time. Uh, so that should be fun for me. Yeah, I've just been watching too many series on a weekly basis now and I need to cut it back and go back to binging things because that's healthier i don't know where i was going with that analogy um yeah so that's that uh there's a new series on netflix because i recently re-got netflix so we could i initially got it so we could watch squid game to talk about that and then i had to keep it so we could talk about what we're talking about this week um and squid so game again. i could watch 
yeah, Squid Game again. We're really getting into the nitty gritty. I almost said what we were going to talk about, and then I remembered that I'm the person who most prefers that we don't mention it at all until we get to the point where we start talking about it, just in case there's a fan out there who hasn't read the title. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the other Netflix series that uh, I think just came out the other day is called Super Crooks, and it's about a world full of super-powered individuals and a team of just shitty D-list supervillains who decide to pull off a heist from the most powerful of supervillains. Uh <laughs> Should be a pretty fucking good time. I'm really excited for it. I haven't watched it yet, so I feel weird talking about something I haven't watched but have high expectations for. But I look forward to it, and I'm probably going to talk about it on our next podcast after I've had a chance to watch it. I mean, from the side of it, I like the premise already. Yeah, I I enjoy uh, stories in superhero universes that don't follow the A-list superheroes but follow the fucking D-list, like, my power is I manifest squirrels and stuff like that. <laughs> hey, you uh, take that back. Squirrel Girl is really powerful. You're right. Squirrel Girl is powerful. That was a low blow that she did not deserve. Yeah, at uh, least target the dog welder, I guess. Oh my god, the dog, dog welder. welder. His power is he welds people to dogs. Welds dogs to people's faces. Yeah. Alright. Uh, but yes, that's uh, what I wanted to uh, inform people about the existence of. What about you, Matt? Anything you want to share with the world? Hell no. Yeah, that was rude of me, because we <laughs> talked about this beforehand, and I knew there was nothing you wanted to share with the world, so I don't know why I specifically called on you. That's I mean, just kind of mean. Warframe's next expansion, The New War, isn't out yet. It's not supposed to come out for another couple of weeks. Sometime in December. I'll have something to share then. Okay. We'll look forward to it. I'll make sure not to ask you then. <laughs> Uh, really I will be in charge then, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> really, the only other two things I can think of that are of note is both uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife and Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City are out now. Uh, I don't think any of us have seen Resident Evil. Uh, I was joking before we started recording that as a podcast, uh, we have seen half the movie. Because, Keith, you've seen the entirety of Ghostbusters. Matt hasn't seen any of it. And I went to see it in the theaters and power went out halfway through the movie. So I saw exactly half of the movie. Um, uh, but but, uh, one thing uh, I've mentioned here is Ghostbusters uh, in that first opening weekend already made 40 million more than its uh, budget Yep. so uh, I definitely expect to see more in the Ghostbusters franchise moving forward whether it's a sequel or not uh, but I guess what to say is it looks like instead of doing numbered Ghostbusters sequels if they're going to aim for anything, it's probably Ghostbuster World Stories, if that makes sense. Yeah, this is kind of like what we were talking about whenever we talk about Star Wars, which is we don't want to see sequels to the Star Wars movies. We want to see stories that take place in the Star Wars universe. So that's hopefully what they're going to do with Ghostbusters, which is it's not going to be continuations of the Ghostbusters story, but more stories that take place in the Ghostbusters world. Yeah, I would say Jason Reitman, the guy who uh, d took care of this movie, his father, Ivan Reitman, uh, did the original two movies. I think, due to the benefit of him growing up on the sets of the original ones, he very understands what Ghostbusters is, and I feel like he avoided a lot of the traps that the first Ghostbusters reboot kind of fell into. Yeah, uh, this one you could tell had the feel, at least from what I saw of it, had the feel of someone who understood Ghostbusters making it, rather than an executive telling them what beats to hit to match the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. So it was someone who had the right feeling rather than just hitting all the same story beats. Exactly. 
And then we have, uh, not, I was about to say, and then we have Ghostbusters, but we just finished talking about <laughs> Ghostbusters. And then we have Resident Evil, uh, Welcome to Raccoon City, which also looks fucking phenomenal. We've talked uh, about it a couple times. Yeah, I've been but... hearing mixed things about it. Mainly it's people complaining that they changed characters drastically and all that stuff. But I, I'll admit it, I was a fan of the Anderson movies, uh, the Anderson yeah. versus it is, because I didn't need an exact Ghostbusters, uh, not Ghostbusters, I keep saying Ghostbusters, I didn't need an exact Resident Evil rebuilt in a movie form because i've played the games i know it happens i like when they reimagine when they change it to different platforms yeah it's if it is just the plot of the resident evil games with the characters behaving the exact way they do in the games then i don't need that as a movie i can just watch all the cutscenes from the games and not even play them and still have a pretty solid version of the fucking movie so when people complain that they made changes from the games it always seems kind of silly to me because I would hope they made changes from the games. Otherwise, what's the point in seeing the movie? And much like you, I also had a fantastic time with the Resident Evil movies. The fucking... Uh... Anderson-verse. Yeah, Anderson. Uh, but it's just... This one looks like it's going to be more faithful to the games than those were. And if it still makes changes, it can't be as drastic of changes as they were in that movie. So I'm still on board with it. Yeah, and even with character changes, my feel on it is always you have to look at what the core of the character is and then do the changes change that? So I think one of the prominent examples of this is MJ in the current uh, Spider-Man movies compared to what she is in the comics where she's, you know, just fiery redhead is kind of like her default, but her personality doesn't require her to have red hair or look that way, right? And I think the current rendition of MJ is amazing compared, and I would say even a bit more dynamic than previous versions of her. Yeah, uh, Zendaya, I think her name is. Yeah. Yeah, I think she does a fantastic job as MJ. Uh, and I expect similar things from the Resident Evil movie, where it might not be the same character that people are expecting from the games, but as long as it has the same spirit and personality as the character, then that's more than fine. Yeah, if the character is Chris still... Doesn't have to... Sorry, go ahead. I was say, if the character is still at their core, what made that character unique in their own sense then they're still a good character regardless of whatever else they change. If this Chris has an unreason uh, unreasonable rage against rocks and boulders, then he's still Chris Redfield. Yeah, that's what uh, almost exactly word for word what I was going to say is <laughs> Chris doesn't need to actually physically punch a boulder to be the same character so long as he still has the mentality of the kind of person who would go out and punch rocks. That's perfectly fucking fine by me. Well then, is there... Any other topics in the world we should discuss before we just jump right into the deep end? No, I got nothing myself. That was it. Quick aside, Matt, you have taken the time to watch this now, yes? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay, good. I have. I just realized we didn't verbally confirm before we started recording, and that's something I usually like to double check. Uh, I would have right, loved well, then... to finish this podcast and have Matt's fun words be, man, I can't wait to watch this. I mean, for all we know, he's fucking with us uh, when he says he has seen this. And he's about <laughs> to just start, start throwing out wild guesses as to the plot. Uh, to the point where I almost want Matt to explain the entire plot while we just listen and give him no input one way or another. But I'm not going to do that, because that doesn't sound like it would be the best uh, decision for the podcast as a whole. So today, for those of you who have yet to look at the title and uh, have... I was about to say it stopped me from saying it, but you didn't stop me. I stopped me. But together we made sure I didn't say it. Uh, today we are talking about the uh, Netflix Riot Games series Arcane, which follows the lives of several League of Legends characters in an animated series. Based on, in case you didn't know, League of Legends. 
Yep. Wow. Uh, uh, also known as just Arcane Colon League of Legends. Uh, most <laughs> people don't pronounce the colon, but they're wrong too. Um, so before we get into it, just uh, seat of your pants, gut reaction. Did you enjoy the series? Yes, I very much did. And I. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I say I'd be willing to say if even if I did not play League of Legends and knew nothing about it, I think this is still a series that you can really enjoy without knowing anything about League of Legends or Riot Games. Yes. Yeah, I I need to ahead. say the first thing that struck me when I started watching this was the goddamn art style. Like yes, my this show God, it is right striking. Bat is just punch you in the gut beautiful. This is like uh, I just couldn't help but notice that like i want to see a breakdown of how the animation was done because you can pause the show at any moment and it just looks like you're looking at a painting yeah this is uh one of the first examples i've seen in a while since uh uh really in general but uh well not in general but uh that classic phrase of like the perfect cinematography has should have the uh, condition where whenever you pause it could easily become artwork that you could put on your wall. And that's kind of what's fucking going on with this show, where anytime you pause it, it's still fucking beautiful to look at. But they, like, really get it going early. So the plot, I figure we can go through by acts rather than following specific episodes, but Well, first, regardless. before we get to that, uh, as time-honored tradition, Matt, give us a rough summary of the series. Alright, I have one that's uh, not so funny, but I think sums it up pretty well. The, the road to good intentions is... Or, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and also, works. everything is Vi's fault. <laughs> well, I can already tell we're going to have a hot debate at the end of this one. <laughs> yeah, let's not get into it, because we don't need to fight before we record. We can save that for after we record. Um, so, episode one of Arc 1 opens with a little bit of a heist performed by two uh, characters who, if you... So, first of all, uh, as Keith said, you don't need to know the game or the characters at all to follow the plot. I have played the games, I have no understanding of the lore of the games, and I had a fantastic fucking time. And I don't like, play the game, and I don't have any understanding of the lore, and I had a great time. Hey, you understand, gentlemen, Jogoff. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Gentleman Joe Goth is, uh, well, he's a gentleman of all gentlemen. He invites uh, you over for dinner. Yeah. It's Take very much death. the kind of thing where if you are familiar with the games and the lore, it can be the kind of, oh, huh, I recognize that character. They're probably going to become so-and-so. Uh, like, one of the big ones was in the first three episodes, uh, we get references to the Doctor, and it's never explained what his name is. Uh, but if you've played the games, you recognize that he probably becomes singed in the games. Well, especially uh, when he gets that scarf later. Yeah. Uh, so it's very much one especially of those things where, like... when he gets singed by fire. Is that just how it's going to be today, Matt? <laughs> uh, so it's one of those things where that's, like, the most value that I f feel the games give you. Is that understanding of, huh, I understand that reference, and that's about it. There's nothing where, if you aren't familiar with the games it doesn't make sense to you. Um, at least, as far as I can tell, there was nothing there that wouldn't have made sense if you weren't a fan of the games. Uh, but yeah, so it opens up with uh, two sisters, Vi and Powder, 
and their two intrepid friends, Milo and Clagger, uh, performing a heist in the uh, big, fancy, shining, shimmering city of Zaun. Nope, not Zaun, Piltover. Uh, they come from Zaun, which is like the sewers of Yes, because Piltover, Piltover is built over Zaun, the Undercity. That is, uh, we were discussing this, uh, me and a couple other people had a watch together for the first episode, and someone kept asking which one was on top and which one was on bottom, and that was the rule of thumb we came up with to remember, was Piltover was built over Zaun. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Nice and easy. It's very helpful. Um, I remember so yeah. when these were two separate cities in the game, and not in the same location. Sure, that might as well be a thing. Um, but yeah, so Zon is the very poor area where all the people have to fight for food to survive. Referred uh, to by pretty much everyone, aside from just a few characters, as just the Undercity. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because um, at this point in the story... Zon isn't actually a thing yet. It's, it's an idea. Yeah, it's it's really just the slums of Piltover, uh, and it seems uh, as they're building towards is we might end up seeing Zon realized him to what it is currently in the game's lore is a separate city from Piltover. Yeah, uh, one of the main features of the third act was uh, the Undercity trying to gain independence and become the independent nation of Zon. Yeah. Uh, was a relatively big plot point in the third act. Uh, but yes, so these young children are heisting uh, through Piltover, stealing from a workshop that they heard mention of through the Grapevine, the Grapevine being a character named Little Man. Um, but yeah, like right off the bat, it shows them climbing a building, and then once they get to the roof, you get this big establishing shot of the city that they're in. And that's that fucking early is when you're being told essentially by the art director of the show that this is going to be a very beautiful show to watch. Yeah. Because it's just this beautiful establishing shot, clear blue skies, glimmering golden trust fucking buildings. It's a whole ordeal. Well, that's the thing, though. Even like Piltover looks like amazing. And even zombieing this dark, dank location looks amazing with the art style too so like even like oh, yeah. something that's supposed to look dirty and gross comes off looking really good yeah uh, we should clarify when it says when we say it looks amazing uh it is very artistic and uh like good looking that doesn't mean it looks like it would be an amazing place to live it <laughs> does not look like that yeah uh uh but yeah, yeah the, the it does worlds well. to help show the juxtaposition between Piltover and the Undercity, just how different yeah. they are. Yeah, it's true. They're very... The juxtaposition between the two... Uh, I don't even want to say cities, because at this point they're not cities, but regions, areas, whatever. Uh, the juxtaposition between the two of them is quite significant. I think for now, districts is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. District, that's a good way. But yeah, Act 1 kind of is all based around the aftermath of this heist that the kids are pulling. Because uh, as part of the heist, they stumble across these uh, rune stones? These, these little gemstones. Gemstones, that's a good way to put it. Um, and they... Uh, the one thing we learn about them very early on, that none of the other characters figure out just yet, is that they're very fucking explosive. Because as they are running away from this apartment that they've just heisted, uh, one of them falls to the ground, 
rolls over, hits the wall, and immediately explodes, destroying most of the apartment and almost killing, killing the children as they try to escape. Um, and then the rest of the series, well, not the rest of the series, but the rest of Act 1 is essentially the people from the upper city, built over, uh, sending enforcers down into the undercity to try and catch the culprits and make sure that they're brought to justice. Putting more and more pressure on the people who are, quote-unquote, in charge of the Undercity to uh, turn over the ones responsible. And this one does a really good job of kind of showing the different dynamics between characters, because Vander, who is the adoptive father of the kids, uh, and the one who's kind of responsible for the Undercity as a whole, the one who's seen as an authority figure most people respect and listen to, is very much of the mind, we have to wait for this to blow over, because he's not going to throw his own kids to the wolves in order to end it. But at the same time, he doesn't want to start a war with the uh, upper city. Yeah, because right at the very beginning, we see, like, he was fighting against the, uh, the enforcers of Piltover. And that's when he found the kids, and that's when he gave up fighting, because he saw just how much pain and suffering it causes. Yeah, he was part of the rebellion that was trying to separate Zon from Piltover, and uh, I believe he already knew who the kids were at this point, too, because he knew their parents. Yeah. Yeah, he knew their parents, and he specifically knew that their parents died in the fighting. Um, which is unfortunate for them. But I guess they got Vander as a dad, and Vander seems like a pretty cool dad, so maybe it wasn't the worst thing yeah. in the world. Well, if I was dark, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh, but also in this first episode, we're introduced to uh, a character who seems like they're going to be the primary antagonist for the series in the form of Silco, who seems to be a uh, crime boss in the uh, Undercity, who seems kind of ideologically opposed to Vander. In they both want the same thing, which is Zon to be free from Piltover, but Silco is much more of the mind of they have to fight pilt over to gain their independence yeah. and uh, forcibly take what they need yeah, to whereas, get their independence whereas Vander seems to take a very different stance on the matter um, we also get some yeah. references to them maybe being brothers who fought a lot but like probably not blood brothers but brothers in the sense that they did everything together and called each other brother they have a history yes a history that may or may not have ended with Vander trying to kill Silco it's unclear <laughs> And then Silco killing Vander. And then Silco actually killing Vander. I, I have to say one thing, though. Uh, just due to the fact you mentioned that like it looks like the primary antagonist is going to be Silco, they did a really good job of not having just a flat-out villain in the series, I feel. Yeah, yeah every single character... So, yes, as I kind of alluded with the way I phrased it, Silco doesn't end up being the primary antagonist. And the thing about the, uh, this series that I think they did really well is... Even characters that we had no idea of lore of because they weren't a part of the games, over the course of nine episodes, every character who we got to learn the name of felt like they had a full arc to their character and their development and their growth to the point where no one feels like the bad guy. Everyone who does bad things feels like a good character who was put in a bad situation. Yeah, like uh, I want to bring back what I said earlier is how like everything is Vi's fault. It's not really the case. It's easy to pin the blame <laughs> onto one source because, like, the whole main, I guess, problem kind of starts with Vi. Well, that's how the story starts, is Vi 
and the group of kids going off on that little mission to steal from the rich person from Piltover. But there's a bunch of things that lead up to that, and yeah. a lot of things in the process that you can't really pin the blame of the start on any one particular thing. Uh, I would and... like to take a shot in the dark and say it's Jace for doing illegal science. Well, there's that, but also, where did he get the... Uh... Well, if you want to go to the true source, the true source is just magic. Because he was saved by magic, and he was enraptured by magic. We so gotta now find he the wants person to research magic. So the... everything is magic's fault. That's the thing. <laughs> Heimerdinger tried to warn us. He Heimerdinger did was the best character. try and warn, uh, warn us that the magic would only lead to a bad time. But yeah, the... The show is written in such a way that everyone has like their ups and downs, everyone has their goals, their problems, and like the parts of them that are good. Like Silco still has a good side to him. He's just a very twisted individual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... he he almost succeeded in a peace treaty uh at that too. Yeah. Well, it, the thing that's kind of crazy about Silco is the first two arcs do a very good job of setting him up as the bad guy, and then that third arc does a great job of setting him up as uh, actually a pretty fucking good guy, because, as you pointed out, he almost manages to establish a fucking peace treaty between Zaun and Piltover, which would get Zaun to be its own independent nation with everything they've ever wanted. He comes one... full circle and becomes uh, Vander, pretty much. The one condition that's applied to that deal becoming true is that he has to give up Jinx, who he has started raising as his own daughter. Also, by the way, the little kid Powder from the beginning goes crazy and becomes Jinx. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, the one condition is he has to give up the girl he's been raising as his daughter, tries to argue for the fact that he would rather give up himself rather than give up his daughter, and then uh, makes it clear while talking later on that he was not going to make the peace treaty because he wasn't going to sacrifice his daughter for the greater good. So, in the third act, goes into becoming a very good and compelling character in at least my fucking book. Yeah, just like in the beginning, when Vander could have easily solved the dispute by handing over Vi, but he decided to protect her despite the trouble that it was bringing the Undercity. Oh yeah, there's like a lot of great parallels because we get the Silco Vander where they end up paralleling the same story in the different parts. But also I would argue that Vi and Jinx also parallel Vander and Silco. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. In that when they're young, uh, they're working together. They both dislike the way Piltover treats Zahn. They both want to go to war. Vi learns the folly of that kind of beliefs and ends up fighting against Jinx to try and stop it from happening, but still wants to be her sister. Yeah, there's a lot of fucking parallels there. Uh, another contender for bad guy, Marcus. Uh, once again, he kind of pulls it back at the end and doesn't end up being a bad guy. But he is the uh, enforcer who, while Grayson is one of the enforcers who's trying to keep the peace, um, he seems to be of the mind that they should really be cracking down on uh, Zon in the first act. Uh, ends up working for Silco uh, because Silco bribes him and he feels that that's a good way to go about his life. Decides to stop working for Silco because it's not worth it anymore, only to have his family threatened, so he continues working for Silco. Uh, and dies. He's also kind of responsible for the jinx shit because he kind of kidnaps Vi 
at the end of Act 1, and that's why she can't go back to Jinx. But the weird um, thing about that is he also kind of saved her by doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All I'm saying is, like, he's another one of those characters who caused a lot of problems, but through the way they developed the character and presented him in the later part of the series, you can't call him a bad guy. Oh, yeah. Like, he did bad things for good reasons, and then kind of got the shit end of the stick with all of them. Because I think with that first deal he made, Grayson dying was definitely not a part of it. It was just... Yeah, no, and you see later on, he still has that one coin with her blood on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then when he grabs Vi, the the last words we hear him say in that part is, uh, if they see you, they'll kill you. And then, yeah, he does throw her into a prison, but really he's got to make sure that Silco does not know she's alive, otherwise Silco just has her killed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Still, the throwing her into prison, not the greatest move, because we also learned later on that apparently a regular part of being in that prison was just regular beatings from the people in charge of the prison. I think you mean having a talk. Sure. Having a talk with very heavy air quotes to the point where it doesn't even look like I'm doing air quotes. It looks like I'm shaking my fist aggressively at you. Then yeah. They're very, very enthusiastic talks. Yeah, of course. Um, So... That was a kind of a dark path to put her on, but she clearly is fine by the end of that, because when she gets out, she's doesn't seem all that worse for wear, other than the fact that she's a little mistrustful of Caitlyn when they first meet. Yeah. I mean, I think she would have been mistrustful of Caitlyn regardless. Yeah, she was always yeah. mistrustful of enforcers. It's just one of those things where I think it did not help that she had recently been receiving beatings at the hands of the authority figures. Oh yeah, not at all. That probably yeah. did not help her trust with uh, enforcers and authority figures in general. But like, other than that, she's seems relatively well adjusted for someone who was beaten for several years straight. True. Uh, so yes, uh, that's roughly the plot of Act 1. We skipped over a couple things, but they perform a heist, they almost get caught, uh, and then the Undercity gets a lot of pressure put on it by the uh, wealthier Overcity as they try to crack down and catch the culprits. In the end, uh, Vi, Vi tries to turn herself in to end yeah, it. Yeah, she finally realizes that fighting is not the option, and she just goes for the peaceful option that she knows can end things. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I think she finally got the uh, information Vander was giving her about her being a leader. And that she has to take mm-hmm. responsibility for even things that people under her do because they'll do whatever she says. And that's yeah. ultimately what leads to the whole problem. Which I think the main, specifically... uh, the main point that tipped her into making the decision was when she found out from, uh, I think Echo was the kid's name. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention the little man's Echo. Yeah. Yes. Echo uh, had overheard Vander talking and found out that Vander had a deal with the Enforcers to that the Enforcers would leave the Undercity if he turned over who was responsible. To be fair, I think the first time she heard about that, all she really heard was that he had a deal with the Enforcers, which is why she mm. wanted to fight. Yeah. But then when Vander sat her down and explained the situation, brought up the first war, and said people would die for this war, and thought it was kind of like, yeah, I'm willing to die to protect the people of Zaun, or whatever. And Vander was like, it's not just you whose life is being put on the line. Are you willing to risk Milo and Clagger? And powder, and I think it was that line that made her realize we need to find a peaceful resolution to this because mm. she wasn't willing to risk everyone she cared about in order to have this fight. Yeah, but obviously, before she could turn herself in, 
<clears throat> Vander steps in. He's like, no, I'm not giving up my daughter. And he tries to turn himself in, but then Silco steps in, and he's like, neither of you are turning yourself in. Instead, this new product I invented called Shimmer is going to be used to kind of kick the shit out of you guys so that I can prepare to fight uh, Zahn with this Shimmer. Not Zahn, Piltover. Yeah, Silco uh, also... steps in to take his revenge on Vander for trying to kill him in the past and to show that they have the tools now to take over Piltover. To be fair, awesome. Silco makes it clear that he holds no grudges for Vander trying to kill oh, him. Yeah. The only thing he holds a grudge for is the fact that Vander tried to establish peace with Piltover rather than continuing the fight. Mm. Uh, one thing I want to point out here, too, is uh, one of the best scenes in the series It happens in this episode, which is Vi's last stand against all of Silco's men. Yeah, it's that fucking fight where she's wearing Vander's fucking gauntlets and just fighting like 12 people in a fucking row on best that part was, bridge. The best part was the first thug that comes up, the big bulky dude, and she just decks him one punch to the chin, knocks him out. Yeah. Right off the catwalk. And everyone's like, what? Well, I think they established, like, building up the characters they did really well like at this point this wasn't like a holy shit vi can do this it was like okay yeah we know vi is a person who is like a very heavy brawler but she's too aggressive and we actually see like oh she takes a lot of hits that she doesn't need to because she's just so aggressive and yeah her... as one character says you still block with your face yeah, yeah so her going all out on them as long as she's getting the first attack which she does with most of these people i'm not surprised she beat the shit out of all of them oh yeah i will say one of my favorite scenes from this and uh at least from act one uh actually comes from the first episode and it kind of gives a uh, reference to where jinx's name comes from because all the other characters refer to as a jinx her as a jinx because anytime she goes on a mission it goes poorly um but then it's a scene between vi and milo which jinx unintentionally hears the first half of which is milo just shitting on jinx for causing everything that goes wrong and commenting on how jinx doesn't know how to do anything and fucking Vi steps in and she's like, you know what? You're right. Patter doesn't know how to do a lot of stuff. Like, complain about everything. Tell people we got a, a huge amount of gold in our pants and shit like that. And it's just the moment where Vi is standing up for Powder and, like, getting this close to kicking the shit out of Milo for talking shit. That was one of the more powerful scenes of this act. Yeah, yeah. When I make this face, it means shut up. <laughs> He's just uh, talking, she's uh, pointing uh, her face. And she just, yeah, points to the fucking face again. It's great. Of course, Powder Overhearing had to leave mid-conversation just as Vi said, yeah, of course, there's a lot of things that Powder can't do. Yeah. Yeah, but then we get the uh, touching scene shortly after where Vi comes in and starts talking to Powder about how everyone has their bad days and recounts other people's worst days and fucking Zon. Takes her up to a high vantage point, points out places where everyone else in their little group made massive mistakes. Such as losing their teddy bear. But yes, all in all, I think Act 1 was a very good warm-up to the point where, like, mm -hmm. even a fucking Episode 1 did a very good job of, if I didn't have fucking Netflix at the time, I absolutely would have started paying for Netflix just to watch this series after watching the first fucking episode. Which they took advantage of, because they absolutely streamed the first episode for free all over Twitch to try and encourage people to start watching it. Um... And I'm willing to bet it worked on a couple fucking people. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, it's definitely, like, it shot up to, like, the top 10 of Netflix almost immediately. Yeah. Because you have to uh, think, of, like, I think everyone who's into League of Legends probably watched it. 
And if Worlds isn't anything uh, as an indicator of the Worlds tournament for League of Legends, it uh, in sports world, the only thing that gets more views than League of Legends World Finals is the FIFA tournament. I would believe that. Uh, the other thing I really enjoy how, about how they did this was the whole of releasing it in Axe, where we got three episodes when it first came out, and then a week later we got three more episodes, and then a week later we got the last three episodes. Because it was kind of the best of both worlds, where you get to binge a little bit, you get to watch your whole arc over multiple episodes, but you still have that week to theorize and talk about what happened and what's coming with the other people around you, so I feel like the pacing of the series uh, was very fucking solid. But, I, that doesn't apply to either of you, because I believe you both waited until the full series was out before you watched it. Yes. So let's move on to Act 2 in that case. Uh, um, this might be controversial, but I felt Act 2 was probably the weakest of the three. That's fair. Uh, Act 2 had a little bit of a middle child syndrome in that it had to take the plot from Act 1 and connect it to Act 3. Uh, I still think it was very strong. Um, oh yeah, and I'm not saying like Act 2 was horrible. I'm just saying out of the three put to each other, it probably goes 3, 1, 2. That's fair. I definitely agree that Act 3 is the strongest. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think the gap between Act 2 and Act 1 is that significant, and I think it's down to a coin flip for me between the two of them. That's fair. It's just that uh, for me, Act 2 didn't have any of those amazing scenes. Like, uh, we'll get, when we get to Act 3, I'll talk about because that had the most, like, wow scenes in it. At 2, you, I can't really think of one, and 1 had the, Kate, like, uh, I mean, the Vi showdown uh, at the end. Uh, I will say that Act 2 had probably the most powerful scene to me. Uh, there were some fucking fantastic... I will agree. Most of the fantastic scenes were from Act 3, but the scene that fucking hit me in the feels the hardest was absolutely in Act 2. And we'll talk about that when we get to that point of the plot. <laughs> uh, but yes, Act 2 opens up after a bit of a time skip from uh, the first one. It is non-specific uh, how long has passed, but it has been a few years. Uh, Jace has used the time to perfect his... Well, not perfect, but... Uh, almost perfect, the hex tech technology he was working on beforehand, which is the whole magic as a technology. Uh, and so now there are hex gates connecting uh, Piltover to other cities so people can essentially teleport from other cities to Piltover or from Piltover to other cities. Bringing great is... new prosperity to Piltover as it is now a center hub for trading. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, so he and Victor have been working on something, and they seem to have uh, stabilized the little hex gemstones that they had been working on in Act 1. They're now perfectly smooth marbles, and they can allow them to uh, essentially add magic to any tool they create. The two ones they have on display are some uh, big old gauntlets for mining. And a big old hammer because Jace likes hammers. Oh, no, it was, the, uh, it was a uh, it was arm. an automated arm with a laser for uh, artificers. Right, the hammer is the one he makes later on in yeah. Act Three. This I'm was Victor's third arm from the game. Yes, you're right. Uh, my apologies, I got confused. Um, but yeah, we also find out during this time it's supposedly Progress Day, which is uh, essentially the World Fair where everyone comes to Piltover and finds out about the latest and greatest technology that people are working on. And yeah. Well, it's Jace... kind of like a mix with the World's Fair with, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, for us, Canada Day, right? Yeah. It's also the founding of the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the founding of the city, and it's also the day when they talk about the technology that they've been working on. 
And so Jason and Victor both want to kind of present their new shiny marbles. Um, but Heimerdinger, uh, ever the cautionary tale that he is, uh, advises against it because it's still too early and the tech will probably take a couple decades of perfecting before it's actually ready to present. Which is, like, a little fucking harsh, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think and you can, al you can already tell he knows when he sees those tools being demonstrated to him. He knows that that kind of energy and technology will be weaponized. Yeah, and they give some context here, like League of Legends lore-wise. Uh, so what he's scared of, I'm assuming, is probably the Rune Wars, which was created by Magic. And I think that being that he was seeing was Brand specifically, the guy that's made of fire, because he used to be a student of someone called Rise. And Rise was trying to seal up the runes so that people couldn't access them and destroy the world almost, like tends to happen. But Brand went mad with power and tried to use it and ended up decimating a whole city. And that scene looks kind of like the, the scene from that short story. Fair enough. And Hyberdinger, like all Yordles, live a fuck ton of time and their city keeps moving. Yeah, uh, Heimerdinger, there's uh, several lines to the fact that Heimerdinger lives for, hun lives for hundreds of years, and that's why him saying it'll take decades to perfect doesn't seem like a big deal to him, but on a human scale, that's essentially telling Jason Victor that it's probably not going to be done in your lifetime, but you've laid some solid groundwork for the people who come after you, yeah. is essentially what it feels like he's saying. Yeah, and um, uh, the fun thing about Heimerdinger in this too is, I know we kept saying like, yeah, Heimerdinger, if they would have listened to him, like everything would have turned out right. But I do think there was merit for the case that Jace made of Heimerdinger says, don't do this, but it sounds like he doesn't actually have a plan himself. Which, yeah, uh, I yeah feel like it's... it's a good both sides of it. Like he's good at being cautious about things, but he doesn't really have a plan for where he's going. Yeah, it's the classic, this sounds very harsh when I say it, but he's the classic fucking person on a group project who's really great at pointing out shit that won't work, but isn't great at pointing out ideas of his own. Uh, in the yeah. sense that, like, yeah, he's right that they are rushing the technology a little bit, but as Victor and Jace point out, they're not doing this for Piltover so much as they're doing it for the Undercity, because the people down there are dying and kind of need progress to happen for them, for their lives to be saved. Uh, it's honestly, kind of a combination of... Uh... His over-cautiousness over due to his experiences, plus his age and seeming to forget like the like, relatively fleeting lifespan of humans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, it kind of seems like Jace and uh, Victor are the only ones aware of the citizens of the Undercity outside of being criminals. Like, everyone yeah, else just because... thinks of them as the ones who bring shimmer into the city and the ones who cause problems. Yeah, Jace, uh, and... Jace wants to help people. Victor wants to help people and the Undercity because Victor is from the Undercity. Yeah. In particular, Victor is very fucking ill and has a not a huge amount of time to wait for these technologies to be developed to potentially save his life. Um... While all this is happening, we find out that uh, Powder has now fully taken on the moniker Jinx, uh, because after being picked up by Silco and raised by him, she's accepted what Vi told her where she is a Jinx, and now just kind of kills people a lot. Because their last parting was kind of uh, Dramatic? not pleasant. Yeah. I mean, she did kill everybody. Yes, and then Vi fair, slapped her and called her a Jinx and then ran away. To be fair, I think the only... I mean, I say only, but I think Jinx is only actually responsible for the death 
of Milo and Klager. I think yeah. Vander died in the fight with the fucking Shimmer dude. Uh, oh yeah, so... but uh, what I was getting at is because her bomb going off caused their escape route to kind of get screwed up and them to get covered, so Vander had to fight the guy, whereas if the second before the bomb went off, they had everything set to leave. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. All I'm saying is blaming it all on Jinx isn't the most fair thing, because yes, they had a way out of the building, but they still had uh, Roid Rage Freak breaking down the door behind them. I don't think the door would have been broken down. Clear, uh, yeah, unless the they had Vander out of the chair at that moment, the uh, <clears throat> shimmered up dude would have broken down the door before they could have escaped through the wall that they were digging. Uh, now, Vander, of course, the Vander bomb, was out of the chair at that moment, though. The bomb did fucking backfire in the sense yeah. that it didn't actually kill the shimmer guy and caused great damage to uh, Vi and Vander and killed Milo and Klager. All I'm saying is, to say that everything would have gone fine if the bomb didn't go off is a little bit of an oversimplification, because... Oh no, that's I'm definitely saying, not fine, was, just better. He was mm -hmm. about to break down that fucking door, so even if they escape through the wall, he's just going to chase them down and still probably kill them. And at that point, the whole reason that Vander was able to defeat Shimmer Dude in the fight was because he fell into the pits where they were making Shimmer and took a bunch of it himself. So it seems distinctly fucking possible that if they tried to run away and got chased, then they just would have been fucking murdered because they wouldn't have had access to the shimmer for Vander as well. So all I'm saying is we can't say for sure that things would have been better if the bomb didn't go. Yeah, the because we, definitely... we know that shimmered up dude was a lot faster than them. And even if they tried running, he'd easily be able to like bear down on them. The bomb obviously didn't work the way it was intended to, and definitely caused a lot of friendly fire and less help to the others. All I'm saying is, we don't know for sure that it would have gone better with it. Yeah. Regardless, uh, Vi blamed help. Jinx, Jinx blamed Jinx, and Jinx went crazy and became Jinx. Yes. Now she makes guns and shoots them, as well as bombs. Well, we already saw that she was good with a gun uh, from earlier episodes. Oh, yes. yeah. To be fair, we saw she was good with the little, like, foam guns at the shooting range. There's a dead eye now, with them. Now she has actual guns, and honestly seems to not hit as often as she did with the foam gun. Um, well, because she mainly uses a big, inaccurate Gatling gun. Yep. Uh, it's called Pow Pow. She uses a big, inaccurate Pow Pow. Yeah, and those uh, little grenades that have the teeth and they bite are called chompers. Yep. And Jawbones is a gun as well. Yeah, that's the rocket launcher from the end. Yes. Uh, anyway, so Jinx, uh, while kind of Prosperity Day is going on, not Prosperity, Progress Day is going on, and Jace is now giving a speech and decides in the moment not to announce their new Hextech gemstones. I actually uh, laughed out when he was like, and we'll show this to you when it's ready. I, I get uh, him making the decision kind of like Heimerdinger suggested, but just because they present it at Progress Day doesn't mean they immediately have to start manufacturing it on a global scale. Where we kind of reference how this seems to be a lot like the World's Fair, they can just be like, this is what we're working on. See, it's cool. It's not ready for the mass market. No one here is allowed to even fucking touch it at the current time. 
we'll talk about that fucking later once we've actually worked out all the kinks. Yeah, we so, found we found a way to make these stones portable and sturdy. We're looking at what options can be done with these and how to produce them. There, it's done. Yeah. yeah. So he easily could have presented their work without selling it to the fucking people in the crowd in that exact moment. We made but the stones just... uh, more portable. I made these cool gauntlets and this big third laser arm. Yeah. Start zapping Nobody's... the crowd. They'll be really helpful for my friend Victor when he goes full machine. And this lady who's currently being kept in a prison, she's going to really love these big gauntlets. Don't you uh, agree, Victor? Glorious revolution. That's right, Victor. Yes. Glorious revolution indeed, Victor. Eventually everyone will be metal like you, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> um, so while this... <laughs> while this is all fucking going on, uh, Jinx breaks into the uh, Hiraman tent, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, which is Caitlin's family, who are very wealthy and one of the uh, council families of the uh, Piltover. Uh, she breaks into their tent, causes a fire, sets off an explosion. Uh, well, set, causes a fire and like prepares an explosion, along with having her chompers mime her voice so that it sounds like a small child is calling for help. I did uh, enjoy that. Oh, please help. I'm stuck in the fire that I started. Yeah, and I put bombs a, everywhere. Nice fucking twist. Well, twist is a strong word. Uh, it's a nice kind of like misdirect from the uh, people running into the fire to immediately be like, "Oh no, there's no one in here. We're walking to our death." And while she's up there, she steals one of the Hextech gemstones and that heads back down to the Undercity. <clears throat> it's good. Everyone has a good time. Yeah. Now there's something that starts in this arc that I kind of want to address. And it's the scene where Marcus is talking to Silco in the office and he gets handed the grenade. Yeah. There, there's like three goddamn scenes in this series where something happens and just kind of like backtracks. One is done amazingly well. And then the, the one with the grenade, it was like just a, like a, a jolt that like, oh, okay, it didn't happen. Like, wh why did you do this? Yeah, it seemed... A little out of place. Yeah, me. it was just it felt like it was just jarring for the sake of being jarring, where it's like, oh, you're thinking of being a martyr? And he pulls the pin and blows up, and uh, Silco and Marcus die. And then immediately goes back to Marcus just holding the grenade. Yeah. Uh, is the first one that you're referencing uh, the actual explosion from the end of Act 1, where they show it from, like, four different perspectives simultaneously? No, that one I didn't take, because it was clearly just us getting different perspectives. The okay. second one is when Jinx does the, the butterfly trick yeah. onto the bridge, and it looks like she kills Caitlyn, but it's like, oh no, she just shot a random person. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what uh, the fuck was Caitlyn reacting to? God only knows. So, during this uh, episode one... Oh, actually, I should probably mention the third one. The third one, uh, which uh, is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing. Is, is the, the echo, echo fight? Yeah, the echo versus Jinx fight, which was my favorite part. Like, hands down, the best part of the series. The thing I loved about... Uh, so that fight was fucking phenomenal. And the thing I loved about it was it was clearly just continuing the trend it had done before where it showed it from one perspective and then just jumped back in time and showed a slightly different version of it. Uh, and it was supposed to reference, like, they played a lot as kids, so Echo was familiar with how Jinx acted as a kid and could thus predict her moves this time. But it was also... A beautiful fucking, beautiful fucking homage to Echo's power in the video games, which is he has the ability to travel back in time a short period and save his life, essentially. Uh, so they show him kind of fighting with her. They show him getting shot in the chest 
as a child by one of her paintballs. And then they show it like literally they do the rewind sound effect while like playing it backwards and reverse quite quickly and then have it do again. Except now there's no references to them being kids anymore. And it's just echo dodging bullets and then bonking her real hard on the fucking head with a metal pipe. Oh, yeah. And I think out of all the characters, Echo was definitely the one I think they did the best in relation to the game specifically, like for just this felt like Echo, minus the fact you didn't have time powers that we're aware of yet. There were other characters. I understand why they don't seem like they are from the video games yet. It's because they're all kind of growing into it. Jace, Victor, Caitlin, Vi, and Jinx are, feel like they're still growing into it. But Echo kind of already feels like he's there. Well, to be fair, with how Echo's whole deal is and the fucking time shenanigans that goes on with him, it kind of feels like he has to be the way he is in the games for a long fucking time before the game, so it kind of makes sense why he, why he's already there. That's uh, true. Can't uh, really grow up when you have that kind of power. One thing uh, I would have liked a bit more of, uh, which it feels like it kind of got cut because there were scenes in the trailer that never showed up, but uh, I was hoping they would do a little bit more because uh, Echo and Jinx uh, in the lore before the series are actually very close. Uh, before she gets older and crazy. In fact, one of uh, Echo's voice lines in the game is, I had a crush, had a crush until on... she started talking to her guns. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it did kind of seem like there was going to be a little bit of that. And then maybe they cut it. Maybe they decided not to do it. Yeah, maybe and... they were never going to do it. And they just put it in the trailer for purposes. Yeah, and I, um... I might have missed the scene, or I just can't recall. But in the trailer, there's a scene of Echo and Jinx joyriding on that motorcycle and flipping off the guards, right? Yeah. And it, I don't think I, it was in the series at all. No, I don't think it was. I don't remember it. So yeah, I think if they would have had more of the Jinx-Echo relationship, that Echo fight, as amazing as it would was, could have been so much better. It, it really could have had a lot bigger of an emotional payoff when Echo finally decided to turn around and fight Jinx. Because yeah. as it was, it just seemed like they were people who knew each other as kids, but didn't really present them as being super close friends. If it had have presented them as being really close friends, uh, like even maybe played off that crush line a little bit, and then to have that fucking fight happen. Because the big emotional payoff is that of that fight is Echo wins the fight and gets in close combat, knocks her down, takes her fucking gun away, and is about to fucking cave her skull in with the lead pipe. And then freezes at the last second because he looks at her and he sees the child that he remembered uh, from when they were kids and the his friend. So if they had have had the emotional payoff of actually establishing that friendship in Act 1, that could have been a much more fucking powerful scene to see right there Yeah. Uh, before he blows or before she blows them both up with a fucking kid. Exactly. And all he really needed was him to get like maybe they do one other job and he gets left be like she gets left behind and he stays with her or something like that. Or even the baseball or like that game where, you know, with the gun and the bat, have that happen in one of the first arc episodes. And then yeah. once that fight with them happens in the third arc where they're facing off, then you kind of like have that flashback and have them play off each other. Yeah. Uh it definitely could have been uh, done quite well. But regardless, back to Act 2 for a little bit longer, at least. Um, Jace gets made into one of the counselors so that he can uh, fully control the Hex gates and track down the stolen gemstone. He's essentially the counselor in charge of Hex tech as a whole. Uh, and kind of the de facto leader of the council after he manages to out-timer dinger. Um, uh, let's be serious, Mel's really the one <laughs> leading the council. Yeah, she's yeah. been leading the council for a while, but... Uh, to put it another way, Jace is the face of the council. Yeah. Uh, because no one realizes Mel's leading them, though Mel is 
absolutely manipulating them all from the shadows. Uh, so Jinx, you or not Jinx, uh, Caitlin uses Jace's authority to break Vi out of prison uh, and uses her to try and track down the Hextech gemstone in Zon. Yeah. Um, and this whole, like, Caitlyn being, like, onto something and figuring everything out, but no one is letting her have the chance because her family's like, no, you're a noble person, you don't do this. And then her boss is, you know, corrupt, as we previously mentioned. So her yep. working yeah. through it and have to solve the case on her own was, like, a really good side story. Yeah, to the point where, like, even Jace, her closest fucking friend and the person who you think would support her all the way, like... Yes, he is still trying to support her, but he's doing it in the wrong way in that he's trying to get her a, essentially office job as the chief of his security once he's made a counselor. Um, well, also, that was also partially because uh, her parents kind of made her get fired. Yeah. yeah. Um, because they were worried about her safety. So this yes. is when she decides to break Vi out of prison and they start uh, gallivanting, is the word I'm going to choose to use, uh, throughout Zon. Um which, uh, Sevilka, I think is how you say her name. Uh, Sevilka, sorry, not, there's no L. Uh, who is kind of the right hand to, uh, Silco, uh, encounters them and gets into a bit of a fight with them. Uh, and she reports that back to both Silco and also directly to Jinx of the fact that, hey, by the way, your sister's alive and she's running through Zon with an enforcer working side by side with her. Which Jinx does not take well. Um, I will say, yeah, there's more plot that develops and we kind of see their investigation is on, but there's not specific stuff we have to talk about. Victor starts working on a new Hextech device, which can manipulate runes and make them up on the spot, which he calls the Hex Core. Another significant thing from the games that you might recognize, but doesn't really need to be explained. It's clear it's just a very powerful magical device that he needs to figure out how it works. Um. And uh, the scene for me that I thought was probably the most emotionally powerful from this entire series, and in particular from Act 2, was uh, when Jinx, upon hearing that Vi is somewhere in the Undercity, climbs to the top of one of the tallest buildings in the Undercity and pops the flare that Vi gave her as a kid, saying, if you open this anywhere in the city, I will find you and I will come to you and we will be reunited. And that fucking moment of just Jinx standing on top of the roof like, holding up the flare, trying to get her sister to come back to her. I will be honest, that brought me to tears a little bit. I, I had an emotional reaction to that scene. Uh, and it goes poorly almost immediately, because Vi does come running, and they're reunited, only for Caitlyn to immediately step out and start accusing Jinx of being the Jinx and working for Silco and all that stuff. Uh, I don't think it was and... accusing. I think it was like, wait a second, your sister's Jinx? Uh, yeah, it wasn't so much accusing. It was, wait a second, your sister's this girl that we've been trailing. And also, also from Jinx, wait a second, why are you with an enforcer? Yeah, it's true, you're with an enforcer. And uh, then Echo's like, wait a second, why are you going to give you giving my attention? Wait a second, I haven't been in this act at all. What the fuck's going on? What do you mean, he's really been in the act uh, the whole time? Let me just well, slide through the DMs here. His face wasn't in the act uh, yeah. at all. Uh, and we don't realize he's in the act until act three when he takes off his mask. And we see he's been in the act two all along. I actually love that scene too, where he's talking to Vi and she pulls out. It's like, wait, when did you? When were you not cuffed anymore? Yeah, almost immediately. You should. How know long that. have you been complaining? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's Act Two, and now we can get into Act Three. Uh, no real time skip between Act Two and Act Three. 
Uh, it kind of just jumps right into where Act 2 left off. Uh, as we said, Vi and Caitlin have been captured by the Firelights, and the leader reveals himself to be Echo, the childhood friend who, after fighting to protect the people who he has accumulated in his treehouse, uh, has kind of become a little bit more emotionally hardened than he was as a child. Which is fair. Uh, what else happens in Act 3? Uh, or at least in the beginning of Act 3. Um, Jinx is a little bit tense about the fact that Silco's been lying to her. Uh, people try and convince Sevika to betray Silco. I think it's in the beginning of the act where uh, Jace finally learns that Victor is dying. That's right, because he collapsed at the end of Act 2 yeah. um, while working on the Hex Core. Yeah. Yeah, there's the Hex Core stuff that's going on. Uh... Also, I think they show Heimerdinger the Hex Core, and Heimerdinger immediately says it should be destroyed. Yeah, that was the end of Act 2, because that's when they oust him, and he leaves. Right. Act 3 <laughs> is the one that begins with... Uh, well, not begins with, but the Hex Core's involvement in Act 3 begins with it being shown to Singed, and Singed being like, what if we... Uh, because it will destroy any living being because they don't adapt well... What if we inject them with Shimmer first before they interact with the Hex Core? Then they'll surely be able to adapt and handle the Hex Core and actually be able to go stronger with it. Which, which uh, quick aside for how Victor was going about this. Clearly, Shimmer was the key thing for him fusing with the Hex Core in such a way to fix his leg. And then he runs out of Shimmer and he's like, Ah, fuck, guess I'm just going to try it without instead of just, I'll get more Shimmer. Yeah. You're supposed to be a scientist, man. Like, you already learned that this method doesn't work. Um, so yeah, uh, Echo, Caitlin, and Vi are trying to take the Hextech core uh, back to the Overcity, uh, because that's not, where... Not, not the core, the gem. So you're right, the gem, not the core. Yeah. Um, trying to bring the gem back to the Overcity uh, to hopefully end the fighting between Piltover and Zahn again. Yeah. Uh, this is where we get the bridge scene we mentioned that results in the Jinx versus Echo fight. Yeah, Jinx yep. is kind of sitting on the bridge, uh, getting ready to ambush them to take the gemstone. Watching when... to see what happens, because yeah. uh, seeing if Vi will follow them to Piltover or stay in the Undercity with her. And we get, once again, just Jinx has the worst fucking timing for watching things, because... Vi clearly says the line, I'm going to go back for my sister, I can't... Starts going back, but then uh, things start going down on the bridge, and she turns back to save Caitlyn. Yep, Marcus betrays Caitlyn, so Vi has to turn around to help, and that's the well, fucking part that she also shoots Echo. Sees. Yeah, that's the part that uh, Jinx sees, though, is before Echo gets shot or anything, is Jinx sees fucking Vi running back to help Caitlyn, and it's just like, oh, so that's how it's going to fucking be. Uh, and then she kills a bunch of people. Um, almost herself, to, too. <laughs> uh, tries to kill Echo, almost kills herself. Um, and then this one ends with the fight between Echo and Jinx and the explosion. Yeah. As Keith said, this is definitely one of the best fucking fight scenes in the entire series. Yeah. There's a few ones that are close, but I think this one is the best one, and then all the rest are, if Vi's fighting someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, another one in the same vein as that first five fight scene 
uh, comes up in the next episode when uh, Jace decides to invade Zon with his new Hextech to and try with and the just, help of Vi. Yeah, to destroy the kind of shimmer production. Vi agrees to help him, uh, and the two of them fighting the fucking like shimmer juggernauts is what I'm gonna call them because they're men wearing shimmer suits that make. Sorry. Shimmer knots, if you will. Shimmer knots, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Uh, so these people all have like super strength, super speed, and have been just ripping through fucking everyone they come across. And then it's just Vi and Jace just taking them to fucking town. Just, just all of a sudden seeing seeing Vi's mechanical fist, mechanical gauntlet, just striking one of them in the chest and then sending them rocketing through the wall. Like, oh, uh, satisfying as all hell. Oh, it was definitely a good fight, but I think her best fight in this arc, anyways, was her fight against Silco's right hand. Yes. Yeah, Sevka. Uh, that's another fucking great one, because this episode ends with Jace realizing while he was fighting all those Shimmer Knots, uh, Shim Knots, whatever we were calling them, um, he accidentally hit a child with a magical explosion and mortally wounded, potentially killed. Uh, he still seems to be alive the last time we see him, but he's later referred to as being dead. Um, I he guess kills he used child. lethality attacks. Uh, so Jace sees the human cost of the war with Zon, and it's not even the people he knows and cares about dying, it's that they would fucking decimate Zon and everyone yeah, there would fucking That was die. an amazing moment when he was meeting with Silco to yeah. broker their truth agreement. <laughs> and he's like, and Silco's like, all right, you've already shown your hand. You don't have the courage to fight us. He's like, you're right. I don't. But we have the technology that we'd absolutely destroy you, and I don't want to see that happen. <laughs> yeah, I can't handle the human cost. To clarify, the human cost on your end, all the bodies that would uh, come from me fighting with you guys, I would much rather achieve peace right here and now. And Silco's face when he realizes, like, oh, oh, yeah, he's right. <laughs> they would just destroy us. Yeah. Um... So, that's all going on. Uh, Mel's mother shows up, who seems to be a person of very particular power. Uh, on the uh, Undercities version of the council, I guess. Quote-unquote. No. Uh, her mother just wants the war to happen to accelerate the formation of Hextech weapons. Yeah, so that they could take the Hextech weapons and bring them back to Noxus, which is... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. other character, my bad. Yeah. Uh, one other thing we also skipped over is uh, Silco did find the half-dead Jinx uh, on the bridge and took her to Singed, who then uh, brought her back, in a sense. Yeah, uh, he first confirmed that Singed was uh, able, or was mentally prepared to lose her, because that was a distinct possibility. And when uh, Silco very patiently explained, there's no way I'm losing Jinx, uh, Singed fucking knocked Silco the fuck out, and he's like, ah, this is for your own benefit, so you don't get in my way. Also, um, uh, I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Jinx, after Sin's surgery, seems a little bit more stable, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I felt I like would... she was, like, very disconnected, multiple personality type situation up to that point, talking. Like, she still talks to the others, but she seemed more stable after the experiment. Yeah, more stabilized, oh. but on the precipice of falling either way. Yeah. One of the key things that we were told in an earlier episode was that the whole shiver thing uh, allows the human to a human body to change and to adapt much more quickly so it kind of makes sense that 
her kind of fractured psyche and all the shit that we've been seeing throughout Act 2, where she kept seeing, like, weird sketchy drawings over top of everything she was seeing, and she kept hearing her dead friends talking to her. It kind of makes sense that if Shimmer helps people adapt and change and grow, then it would help her kind of heal her fractured mind a little bit and maybe not become sane, but seem to be a lot more stable than she was in Act 2. And she got her signature glowing red eyes. As we kind of discussed, uh, Jace offers Silco a good deal in exchange for uh, Jinx. Silco acts like he's going to think it over, but talking later, he makes it clear that he was never going to consider it. He wouldn't sacrifice uh, his adoptive daughter. Meanwhile, Mel's mother uh, shows up and makes it very clear that she cares little what happens to the people of Piltover is on, and she wants to make it even clearer that Mel shouldn't care either. What they want to do is accelerate the war to increase the development of weapons in general so that they can use them for their own purposes. Uh, also, if I'm correct, the person she's scared of in Noxus is Swain, if I remember correctly. I don't remember her saying that, but that definitely fits based on my understanding of who Swain is and his relation to Noxus. Yeah. Yeah, she never mentions a name. All she, all she says is that someone killed uh, her brother. The uh, well, counselor her, her woman's. Her son. Her son. Counselor woman's brother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the penultimate episode ends with uh, Jinx kidnapping Caitlyn because she's just fucking fed up of this uh, B-word stealing her sister's love. Yeah. Um, uh, and then with the Jace Victor side of the story, uh, uh, the uh, girl that's been swaying, uh, swooning over Victor this whole time uh, gets evaporated into ash. Yep. Yep. Sky got done dirty. She was clearly like walking toward, carrying notes, uh, trying to like warm herself up to confessing her feelings towards Victor. And then she busts down the door, sees Victor in the process of going through his hex core changes. Uh, and runs in to try and save him, not realizing that he's doing this of his own volition. And she dies in the process, which uh, traumatizes us in the audience, and maybe Victor a little too, but don't worry, he'll soon be metal and not kill. Yeah, we get the yeah. fun little parallel of him about to kill himself too, and Jace intervenes just like they did yep. in the first series. Yeah. Also, one little point I want to bring up is the fact that uh, after Victor comes to and sees that Sky was killed by that, he tries to destroy the the uh, Hextech core himself, but well, he can't. And then something seems to happen. It shows a connection between him and the core. Yeah. And the core seems to make it evident that it's not going to let him destroy it. Yeah, that's yeah. why he asked Jace to destroy it for him. Uh, but effectively, their whole side realizes they've been going about things wrong, and then they decide to make that call for peace with the council. Yeah. And then uh, uh, probably one of my favorite set pieces is the next part, which is the dinner scene. Yes. Uh, just before that, I do want to mention that Heimerdinger, who has since been ousted from the council, is just kind of like wandering the streets of Piltover and stumbles across Echo, who's very badly injured, and his First, ingenious invention. Of before this, he was wandering around the Undercity because he wanted, now that he's no longer part of the council, he wanted to see if he could help out down there. But he quickly found that he was not welcome down there. Uh, but he does track down Echo uh, post-explosion, and Echo brings him back to his treehouse, uh, and they kind of agree to start working together to help the people of Zaun, but that doesn't really get any payoff. It's potentially a setup for an arc in a future 
series or season or something like that. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely setting up the whole thing earlier about Heimerdinger always being cautious but never really having a plan because he thinks things need a lot of time. But after discovering the tree and how it was like everything was built up so quickly, that's what surprised him. And he's like, oh, maybe there can be something done. Yeah, maybe we mm. don't need to wait for the passage of time. Maybe we can make time pass ourselves. And maybe once he starts thinking about time that way, he'll help Echo invent his time-controlled device. <laughs> um, but yes, so this is where... So just before the dinner scene, we also see uh, the amazing fight between Vi and Sevica yeah. uh, in the bar, where Vi uh, has that thought halfway through the battle of, oh, right, blocking's a thing I can do, and then immediately wins the fight once she starts blocking, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the moment she defeats Sevica, rips off her arm and has her bleeding on the ground, Jinx just walks up behind her and pistol whips her on the back of the head and knocks her unconscious and brings her to the dinner scene. Yeah, which Soko had a similar scene where he was having the conversation of like understanding Vander, and then Jinx is just hiding behind the shadow of the statue. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, cut to the dinner scene where Jinx is initially just talking to Vi, and Vi looks around the table and sees that uh, Silco is tied up at the other end of the table and gagged. Uh, and they're just having a pleasant conversation about what's going on with their lives. And Jinx makes a reference to how she uh, visited uh, Caitlin up above. Yeah. Uh, I, I love and, this scene. Yeah, where she brings out the fucking platter with a cloche on top, and like while talking about her visit What did you to do Caitlin, to Caitlin? I made her a snack! Caitlin's fuck or not Caitlin. Vi's fucking horrified at this point that she's about to be shown Caitlin's head. And then Vi just throws it on the table, lifts up the cloche, and she's like, What do you think I was doing? Sheesh. And it's oh, a yeah. monster. No, she fucking... her specific line's like, I'm not that crazy. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's fucking... just a cupcake with um, the Magitech uh, crystal on it. Yeah. yeah. Or the uh, Hextech crystal, yeah. But then she does bring out uh Caitlin who's also bound and gagged. And explains to Vi that the only way, uh, or essentially, there are two seats at the table that she could be sitting in. There's a chair labeled Powder, which is right next to Vi. And there's a chair labeled Jinx, which is right next to Selko. And Vi has to choose which uh, chair she sits in. Uh, with the logic being, if Vi takes the gun right now, shoots and kills Caitlyn, then uh she'll go back to being powder and sit with her like sisters and they'll go run away together and be together for the rest of their lives but if she's unwilling to do it then jinx will kill caitlin for her and jinx will be forever jinx after that point uh now i um, will say as i mentioned before where echo felt like he was a completed character in the concept of the game it's this scene uh like not during the curse scene but like at the beginning of the scene jinx just feels like video game jinx i will say yeah so we get to the end of the scene, and spoiler alert, without going over the specifics of the scene, Jinx does end up deciding to sit in the Jinx chair. Uh, and the moment she sits in that Jinx chair, because I would say there's still some hanging in the balance of she could go either way. The moment she sits in the Jinx chair, I feel like she has fully become the character she is. Fucking. And... Oh, oh, I would say still before that, because like the line, like, oh, I'm not that crazy, or like, you know, the, oh, I made her into a snack. Like, th those are very Jinx lines. Yeah, she is, I would say she, uh, like, from my perspective, I would say she's, like, 99. It's just, the yeah, thing that she, fucking does it for me. The character is there, but she's willing to go back to being Powder. Yeah. 
I, the just... thing that fucking does it is when Silco draws a gun and is about to shoot fucking Vi to get her to shut up, and Jinx, in, as a reaction, turns her gun and kills Silco. I think that's the moment that fucking clinches it and forces her into that Jinx mindset. Because Jinx makes it kind of clear that she had feelings for Silco. Obviously, he was adopted, her adoptive father. And having to kill him, and she immediately goes over, starts apologizing, saying how she didn't mean to do it. It's at that point that it's clear no matter what Vi says, she's going to be sitting in the Jinx chair. Uh, so I would say she's definitely most of the way there at the beginning of the scene, and I think the moment she kills Silco is the moment she fully locks herself into the fucking character from the video game. And then, uh, yeah, there's that. She puts the gem into her gun and walks off, and that's when we get that crazy final scene of the council votes unanimously for peace, just as the Mega Death Rocket's about to pierce through the window. Yep. Yep. Which is such a beautiful scene, because the fucking... It, we talked about parallels uh, earlier on, but this also very well parallels the first arc, which is the first arc is all about uh, Zon just wanting peace and the people in charge of Zon arguing for let's not go to war, let's just uh, establish peaceful relationships with Piltover. Meanwhile, Piltover's like, we need to crack down real hard and we need to rub out this fucking insurrection that's starting in fucking Zon. And then we get kind of the parallel in the end of Act 3, which is Piltover slowly realizing they just need peace with Zon and it's not worth it for them to keep cracking down. And at the time that they're having these debates, at the same time, Zon is very clearly declaring war on fucking uh, Piltover. Yeah. So, and, fun and little parallels. It feels like they were already planning for a season two, though it only got recently uh, announced. So, finishing season one, we had no idea. Uh, but now we yeah. do know they are going into season two, and I'm very curious to see where this goes. Uh, any thoughts on who's going to die inside that room? Uh, obviously, Jace and Jace will get out pretty much unscathed. Victor is probably going to be more mortally, mortally wounded than he already is, I guess. But not yeah, dead. and that's what's going to push him over the edge to the glorious evolution. I think the, the highest contender for main character dying is Mel. Yeah, I think. I think Mel almost definitely dies, and that might push Jace over the yeah, edge a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, uh, to get Jace to be more aggressive, because he doesn't want to fight at all, even though he's got his hammer. And to not mm -hmm. destroy the hammer and continue fighting, I think Mel needs to die. Yeah. I think uh, another... I think a contender for someone in that room who lives who isn't a main character is the super old council member who's clearly a little bit on the dumb side that Mel takes advantage of. Yeah, um, well, well, with the children's puzzle box. Yeah, the children's that he's been working box. on for ten goddamn years. Yep. Yeah, I think he's a high contender for still being alive after that happens, just because he could easily be manipulated and remain a seat that's allied to whoever's manipulating the fucking council in the next season. Sure. Um, I do think uh some of the other council members council members are likely to fucking die in that though, like the. I don't know, the, the robot guy. He's probably dead. Caitlin's mother I can see dying too. Uh, yeah, that's a, yep. a good named one. Uh, Almost a given there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think... I would say even probably the show creators haven't decided who in that room is dead or not. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's their planning season two. I, I am curious to see some of the plot points 
uh, actually, where I know a bit more about the League of Legends lore than you guys. Uh, one plot point I would like to see, uh, and let me just preface this by the fact that, so in the lore, Yordles are, are kind of like a really weird thing where Riot can't seem to decide if people are aware of Yordles or Yordles are just magical creatures that can also kind of disguise themselves so you don't know that they're a Yordle. And in the in the storyline, uh, do you guys know the character Ziggs? Yep. The crazy bomber guy? That's uh, a Yordle? Yeah. Well, uh, it, I know the character. In the lore, he lives with Jinx. Uh, they went on a destructive rampage through uh, Piltover once. Now, keep in mind, Jinx doesn't really kill people so much as she just causes destruction. Uh, and Ziggs is kind of the same way. They just do it for the explosions. So she brings Ziggs home with her to live with her. And she sees him kind of like as a, a working friend, uh, that like a roommate. But she's positive that Ziggs is just a figment of her imagination because he's a yordle. <laughs> I would be into that being a plot point in season two. Yep. So they're just best friends that live together blowing shit up, but she's positive that Ziggs isn't real. Yeah, that would be pretty fucking fun, I'll be honest. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Echo getting his powers could be a cool plot point. Uh, one thing that I'm curious about, though, and I feel like they set it up good, but they tend to fuck up this type of thing. The relationship between Vi and Caitlyn, because it's hinted at so much and the fan base is pretty much at this point. Yeah. Caitlin and Vi are a couple. That's how it works. I feel like they're going to fuck it up. See, I want, if they, that is a plot point that they continue with. I worry. Cause a lot of times when they make characters who are, uh, LGBT, um, Q plus, I was trying to remember all the letters. Uh, sure. Um, oftentimes they can kind of make it that that character's entire personality is that part of their life. So I'm fine with it being a plot point that they are kind of a couple, as long as it's not to the point of that becomes Vi's whole motivation is protecting Caitlyn or vice versa. If they still remain fully fleshed out characters who have their own goals and motivations... I'm perfectly fine with that being a plot point going forward. Oh, yeah, I don't think it will ruin the characters of, like, their personalities are already kind of well-established within the game lore and all that stuff. So I think that they wouldn't fuck that up. But I think just the concept, it's either going to be that they're not going to pay it off, which I think that you have such a beautiful opportunity here to not pay it off would be, uh, I feel like, poorly used. Uh, but I feel like, as you are saying, that usually whenever they do, like, same-sex relationships in any type of media... It's always gets screwed up somehow. Yeah. But Caitlyn and Vi is like one of like the oldest things in like the League of Legends community of like, yeah, that's totally a couple. I'd be okay with it. Um, well, they, they have even voice lines where they kind of flirty. And this one definitely like Vi was coming on strong. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And Jinx even calls her her girlfriend, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So the framework's there, and I would like to see them actually pay it off. That definitely seems like it would be a, a good choice for them to pay that off. Well then, uh, any final thoughts about the show? I, I thought it was really good, and I'm very excited to see what they do with the Season 2. Uh, whether it's going to take on an anthology aspect of 
maybe we're not following Caitlyn or Vi or Jinx in the next season, and it's other characters that, like, kind of involving the Fallout. Uh, hard to say, but I would love to see more characters show up. Yeah. There are several characters who I would like to see in the season two, Mr. Anderson. Like, even if they're not, like, major characters who focus the plot, but even if there's just, like, a throwaway scene that references fucking Dr. Mundo doing fucked up things in fucking Zon, I'd be into that. That'd be fine. Uh, Characters Uh, from Zon, we haven't seen uh, Dr. Mundo, Urgot, uh, Warwick, kind of. There's hints at Warwick being in there, but we haven't actually seen him. Yeah. Uh, Twitch. Uh, There are a couple of those I can understand them not wanting to put in, like, uh, especially with the world as it is, they mostly established it with humans. So the one fucking uh, yordle we got to see any extended amount of was Heimerdinger. So having characters who are a bit more out there might be something they're trying to avoid for the time being. So I could maybe understand them not putting fucking Twitch in there, for instance. Cause well, Twitch's whole Twitch's lore is, deal just, is yeah, he's yeah. just an angry rat. Yeah, so I can understand them not wanting to put him in there. But something like Dr. Mundo, where he's not fully human, but he's just like the step away that they could explain it within world. Well, they, the could, they where... could explain him with Shimmer because he used experiments yeah. and mutated himself. Yeah, they could easily have him be one of the Shimmer knots from the uh, first season who went fucking insane in the process or something like that. Yeah, and then or there's traveling after... characters that we could see uh, around, such as Graves is known to travel to uh, Zon yep. quite a bit. So anyways, there's a, a lot of characters they could be introducing that I'd be interested to see even if they're not full characters but just kind of cameo characters who are there for a scene or two yeah knowing the little bit that i know it would be neat to see rise make an appearance uh knowing the little bit that i know i think he already has (laughs) that's what i thought but i thought rise was blue he is blue uh all right uh do we have a question for the audience i guess the best one is what character would you like to see appear in season two Uh, let's let's split it two ways so first of all if you are familiar with the games what character would you like to see in season two but if you're not familiar with the games have you watched it and can you confirm whether or not it stands up without having any experience with the games that way everyone can answer and not just yeah games that's fair all right uh recommendations matt what do you recommend i recommend a little anime known by the title of The Legend of the Legendary Heroes. It's What's an older that? one from uh, back in 2010. Uh, the main character carries a uh, deadly curse on him that uh, can't, he can't fully control, and it is uh, well known throughout the world as something that kills many, so he's considered by a monster as most. And him, along with a knight, are tasked by the king of the nation to find these powerful magical artifacts to help reign in peace for the kingdom and thwart all of the political corruption that is running rampant throughout the kingdom. Nice. Yeah. A bit of political intrigue, a little bit of magic. Uh, what oh, I want characters. to recommend is uh, uh, anime, because I'm also a weeb, uh, for those of you who weren't aware. Uh, but this one I'm recommending more so because it's also a Netflix series. 
um, that I started watching after I got back into Netflix for Arcane and the other one, Squid Game. Um, and this series is called Devilman Crybaby. Uh, and it's all about, uh, without trying to give away too much, uh, devils are invading Earth and planning on preparing for essentially the apocalypse and killing off all humans. Um, and the way it works is whenever they consume something, they gain its power. Uh, but certain human beings are able to retain their human personality and emotion after being consumed by devils. And thus they have the power of a devil with the heart of a human. And it's all about uh, following this one character who's a bit of a crybaby as he becomes a devil man and tries to prevent the apocalypse and kill off the devils before they destroy Earth. And uh, no spoilers, but it it doesn't go well. <laughs> What's your recommendation, Keith? Uh, so for mine, I'm staying in the realm of League of Legends. So uh, before Arcane, uh, they actually released a lot of comic series telling one-off stories in that. And I'm actually going to recommend Ash Warmother, which is a comic series done with Marvel, uh, which uh, the character of Ash from League of Legends, the Frost Archer, it's the story of her kind of like rising to power and leading the uh, Freljord tribes. Nice. So it's a really good series. Uh Really, any of the League of Legends comic books are pretty good. They've only done three characters in comic form so far, Ash, Lux, and Zed. But the one I would recommend is one of the ones I enjoyed uh, was Ash. Sounds good. Right. I'll keep that in mind. Yep, they're very uh, good stories and a little bit more insight into the world in vastly different regions. Has anyone correctly guessed our episode on Insta? Yep, Graham? so let's see here. I suppose also, did anyone answer a question from last episode? Yeah, so we will start off with, uh, did anyone correctly guess this episode? Uh, we had one guess from Tachi underscore Camargo, and that was, no, I don't know. Uh, incorrect. That is not what today's podcast was about. Because <laughs> now you clearly do know. That's true, especially if you're listening to this right now. I would say go back and change your answer, but uh, you can't do that as the poll closes has officially closed uh as for our question from last episode uh do you know when uh kit harrington will become a giraffe in the mcu and uh our response to that question was from hannah j underscore 13 and that was when mothman puts a spell on him you know what i'm actually glad that the answer wasn't just the words mothman and there were some extra words there to make <laughs> it into a valid answer to the question so you know what i'm willing to give it to han on this one time Fair enough. <laughs> Dynamic duo, Mothman and Draftman. I really right. hope they pay it off and make him a draft at some point. Uh, well, if that's that for Instagram, uh, I will say we got an email, uh, but the email was just a recommendation for something we'll talk about. So maybe we'll address that in a couple months when we get to January and uh, we start doing fan suggestion episodes for the entire month. Uh, this is mostly just me using this as an excuse to remind our audience that fanuary is a thing we like to do so if you do have anything you want us to talk about send us an email and we'll uh try and cover it during fanuary Woo. um woo. uh all right so with that being said i just want to make sure to thank everyone for listening to today's episode you're welcome Remember that you... no you you participated <laughs> i'm assuming you weren't you know what? No, fuck you. I mean, if he wasn't uh, listening to us talk and was able to respond as he did from just, like, insight on his own, that's pretty good. 
intuition, I am smart. To be fair, I was thanking them for listening to the podcast, not for listening to the two of us talk for the duration of the podcast. <laughs> Matt technically wasn't listening to the podcast, he was listening to our voice. Um, thank you for listening to today's podcast. I remember that you can find us on all major podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Uh, we also post our podcasts to YouTube, so you can find us there. And make sure you reach out to us on Instagram and start following us, because that's the easiest way to get in contact with us. You can answer our questions there and guess what our podcast is going to be about. Remember, if you do want to reach out and have suggestions for Fanuary, I don't know why I'm saying it like it's spooky, but if you do have <laughs> suggestions for Fanuary, uh, you can shoot us an email at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. That's whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Uh, all those words are spelt the way they normally are. If you... Uh, have a question you want us to answer, or if you know what we should do a podcast about, make sure to reach us to us there and tune back in in a fortnight for our next episode where we are talking about what again? Uh, so apparently we're going to have someone explain something about a Twinkie from the afterlife. Mm-hmm.